The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, What's y'all? Schwebzy. Oh, just because you do it, Schwebzy, just because you do it for one week does not mean you get to do it forever, okay? That was a one-time thing. Let's just make that clear. I'm, I'm the host, right? Sorry, the power has gone to my head. I did everything for one week. I had it all. Had it all. Um, and now you have nothing. <laughs> nothing is we, we, uh, I I could have had it all rolling in the deep. You know how, you know how it goes. Oh, no. We re- oh yeah okay we did it okay we've come for a full circle at this point all right uh, hi everyone welcome to another episode of in the deep deep league focused fantasy baseball podcast part of the pitcherless podcast network my name is Jordan White back here again this week sorry about the technical issues last week uh, I am joined here once again by my good friend and co-host Christopher Schwebzy Weber Schwebzy thank you so much for covering for me last week I appreciate it uh, how was it talking to yourself for a half an hour uh, it, it was like the rest of my time. Talking to you is my, <laughs> it was talking to you is my break from just talking to myself. I'm sorry that I couldn't give you that last week, but we're back again together again this week. Uh, and you're actually back up in New Jersey. Oh yeah. This episode is being recorded from my mother-in-law's basement. Uh, like most other podcasts, specifically, I, I believe. Specifically what table though? What table are you at oh, right th- now? This is my wife's childhood crafting table. So this is probably like absolutely like, I mean, Schwibzi's wife is already very small. This is probably like the most baby sized table imaginable. I can only assume as a, as uh, a large six foot three person, I could barely get my knees under this thing. <laughs> so hopefully you can't hear uh, Schwibzi's knees knocking against the bottom of the table as we record. Hopefully you can stay comfortable during the recording, but, uh, yeah, thank you all so much for joining us once again for another episode. If you want to follow us on our social media, you can follow us at our shared podcast account. That's at in the DPL on Twitter. You can follow myself at Bunt Singles or Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I. Uh, Schwebzy, I'm going to send it to you right away here to talk about someone that I get to watch pitch actually live this past week because I don't work in the middle of the weeks anymore. Uh, Tyler Wells. Tell us all about Tyler Wells. You went deep on him here. Sure did. Love a deep Wells. Uh, I, I've mentioned uh, where the best water's from. Uh, I I've get me- it. I've mentioned, <laughs> uh, I've mentioned Tyler Wells on the podcast before. Uh, I talked about him in the off season 
uh, with some mild excitement because we he he put up really good uh, underlying numbers as a reliever last year, and we heard mm-hmm. that the Orioles had decided to stretch him out to be a starter. And you know we don't always see pitchers move in that direction from the rotation from the bullpen to the rotation, but you know it's it's worked before, so it's you know it it was intriguing. Uh, so let me I'm I'm gonna before talking about Wells himself. I want to give some background on the Orioles and their ballpark and their their organization status. So, listeners at home, in the car, wherever you are, if you had to guess where Orioles starting pitchers ranked in ERA, like, what would you guess? Knowing that their pitchers are like Spencer Watkins and Bruce Zimmerman and Tyler Wells and uh, Kyle Bradish's first three career starts, Jordan, where would you guess that the uh, the Orioles ranked in ERA for rotations. There's been some pretty bad ones this year. Honestly, I would say like, um, I don't know why I'm throwing this to you, like, knowing that like, you're the best guesser gonna, in the world. I'm gonna say twentieth. That's just I, I I'm guessing like right at the precipice between like bottom third and middle third. I have never had you guess something and and you not been close. Um, they're 17th, sandwiched between Toronto and Miami, two pretty good rotations. But the interesting Miami thing Miami underperformed. Here, they have. And Toronto, this year, Tor- sure. Tor- you know, Toronto throws out uh, Kikuchi every five days. They've thrown out Ross Stripling a bit. So, you know, it's not the... Uh, Offsets all the gains they get from Gaussman, yeah. Right. So the reason I bring this up is because I also mm-hmm. want to further ask, what do you think they rank in home ERA? Home ERA. Are the, I don't even know what the park factors are. Are they good? Or are they bad with the new wall and everything like that? Well, I exactly. would guess like home ERA. Um, let's say. Would you talk about them if they were bad? Would you bring this up if it was bad and then talk about Tyler Wells? So probably not. I'm going to say top third. I'm going to say like eighth. They're second. Oh, wow. Okay, that's even better than I thought it was. Right. So the formerly friendly batter confines of Camden Yards are now fully a pitcher's park. It's wild the dramatic change that has occurred. The combination of the new baseball, the moved back left center field fence, not only did they move the left center field fence back, but they also added a wall, like a huge, tall wall. It's like, mm-hmm. what is it, like 15 feet high? It's it's a large wall. Yeah. We've already seen that wall rob many a home run from batters like Ryan Mountcastle and uh, like Anthony Santander on that team. And aside from park factors, the organization in general the Orioles player development team has gone from kind of a joke. You know, this this was the team that, you know, ruined Brian Matus and ruined or, or tried to ruin Kevin Gaussman, uh, among others. Now, uh, I, I actually I recently read a three part interview that The Athletic did with their director of player development, Matt Blood. And, you know, organizations are only going to say so much in an interview. But he was saying all the right things regarding, you know, hiring the right kind of talent, utilizing technology to advance their player development. 
And honestly, I, I really liked what he was saying. And it's shown both on the field for the major league team and in the farm system where last year the Orioles had the number one farm system by, you know, uh, according to some outlets. So we've got an environment that is ripe for under the radar pitching performances. You know, we've already seen Bruce Zimmerman. He's put up like a sub three ERA this year. Same mm -hmm. thing for Spencer Watkins. So, but we're not here to talk about those guys. We're here to talk about Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells has been on a roll. In his first start of the year against Tampa Bay, he gave up four earned runs and only got five outs. Not good. Since then, five starts, 22.1 innings, and a 2.42 ERA, with two of those starts coming against the On Fuego New York Yankees. Now, one that's of those. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty and good. One of those starts was at Oakland, and three of those starts were at home. And that's kind of what I'm here to talk about is that Oriole starters and like Oriole starters in general, I really, really need to like re like re redo my own like internal gut calculations every time I see Camden Yards on the schedule and Oriole pitchers pitching at home. Like in my head, those are not good streams. Those are good streams now. Those are very good streams now. Uh, and Tyler Wells in particular is a potentially like fantastic streamer for you shallow league people and a potential like keeper quality pitcher for deeper leagues. I, I have him in several like uh, very deep keeper leagues myself. So he's had a pretty friendly schedule so far, like I mentioned. But the ratios have been really good. He's taken full advantage of it. And he's been built up to 75 pitches, suggesting that there's potential for even more length here. Uh, phrasing. Um, he's Even with those 75 pitches, he's gotten up to six innings pitched already. So, I mean, you know, if he's this efficient with 75 pitches, you know, who, who's to say how deep he can go into games? we might get like a, you know, Lorenzen style, low strikeout, deep uh, inning kind of guy. Unfortunately, uh, I mentioned earlier that I was really excited because of Tyler Wells's pitches and his peripherals as a reliever. His stuff hasn't really survived the transition from the bullpen to the rotation, which, you know, you'd expect. You expect a, a, a tick down in stuff uh he's he's lost a tick and a half of velocity on his fastball his strikeouts are down all the way from 29 percent to 17.3 percent which is that's that's huge that's that's really bad yeah, not encouraging the good news is that he didn't walk anybody when he was a reliever he doesn't walk anybody now that he's a starter and that's always a good base to start from is not walking people free free bases are death for starters He's actually walking fewer people now that he's a starter than he did last year as a reliever, which is good. Yes. For, you know, on a percentage basis. Yes. Overall, I, 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 I want to believe he still has that bat missing talent. Like in my head right now, he's, he, I, I mentioned the name earlier. I feel like he's kind of like Michael Lorenzen, like a low strikeout, 
strong streamer, really good, like a great stream against bad offenses. And, mm-hmm. you know, except, you know, uh, he has the benefit of maybe the new best pitcher's park in baseball, possibly. So I think yeah, he's a very... There. Oh, sorry, my bad. No, sure, sure. So on top of uh, on top of what I already talked about, there's been a significant pitch mix change uh, with his transition to the rotation. He's throwing his fastball almost 20% less than last year. He's only throwing his fastball 38.1% of the time. He's making up for those lost fastballs with more change-ups and curveballs, two mostly good results. Both, uh, both the change-up and the curveball are putting up CSWs over 32%, which are good numbers. I actually wonder, like, I should, I should have asked you to pull these numbers. If he's putting up such strong CSW numbers, his weighted earned strikes probably stinks because he's not getting those strikes in a two strike counts. It would definitely drop a little bit. He would still be, I think, a, like, he would still have a respectable weighted earned strike, right? Um, yeah, because he's not getting the Ks, he's going to have a little bit lower than what his. Mm, actually, yeah, it's going to, I mean, it's going to be lower than what his actual CSW is, uh, his weighted earned strike rate, but it would still rank pretty highly, I would think, for those two pitches specifically. Yeah. So I mentioned that he was using his changeup more. That changeup is a weapon. I've already made Jordan play the guessing game several times already today. And I, I had him do this earlier with Tyler Wells's changeup as well. Once again, I was very close. Incredibly <laughs> close. You're so good at this. Tyler Wells' changeup allows hard contact 4.8% of the time. That is obscenely low. That's so incredibly low. Um, Ooh, uh, I, I want to get context. Like, th- that's such a low number that I actually want to get the context for it. The average MLB changeup for a starting pitcher allows hard contact 24% of the time. So he's yeah, a full... Uh, except, he, yeah, he's a full 20%. It's a money pitch uh, by, you know, by Nick's uh, definition. It gets a better than 40% O-swing and zone percentage. And it gets a better than fifteen percent swinging strike rate, so yeah, th- this is firmly in money pitch territory. So you have to imagine that with a four seamer that plays and two good passable to good breaking pitches, that there's potential here for you know more than we've seen so far. Which I I feel like what we've got here is like a mid mid to high level Toby. And I think there's potential for more here, especially if maybe I, I don't I don't know if it's maybe using the change up in two strike counts more, you know, try try to get more swinging strikes than than, uh, you know, balls put into play. But uh, yeah, I, I like what I see here. And in general, my research on Tyler Wells has made me realize that I really need to be looking at and, and you know, my advice to the listeners is that we all need to be looking at Baltimore pitchers differently than we did a year ago. They're much stronger streams, and their environment is much more pitcher-friendly than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, so something that I do want to kind of throw cold water on in terms of, um, in terms of Tyler Wells, I, I, tr- I will say I love him. I do love him. I got to watch him go up against the Royals earlier this week where he got his first win of the season and 
I mean, he got through six innings on like what, what, like 75 pitches, you said, something like that. Yeah. It was like a very, very low pitch count. Those pitch counts are going to remain low because he was a bullpen arm last year. He only threw like 57 innings in 2021. So I think he's probably going to cap out at like between like 110 to 120 innings is probably where he's going to sit. So I think that, especially also with like, because it's a six man rotation currently uh, in Baltimore. They're going to be limiting how many innings he actually gets to throw or how many pitches he gets to throw just to make sure that he's not hurting himself. Um, that said, yes, the strikeouts have gone down. I don't think that they're going to be there necessarily like they were when he was a reliever, but that changeup and that curveball are both very, very good. And even if they're not getting the strikeouts, they're inducing so much weak contact. That changeup is gross. It is really, really good. Watching it live, it is a disgusting changeup. And it's, I mean, I feel I feel like I've I used to be like a big slider guy. <laughs> I love sliders. That was my favorite pitch to watch. Love I'm much sandwiches. more now. Oh yeah, of course. Mwah. Delicious. Love it. But like I've really come to appreciate splitters and split changes and change ups a lot more as pitches. Cause while they aren't often like the best strikeout pitches, the best K pitches. They are incredibly, incredibly useful in inducing that weak contact and still providing a lot of value to pitchers. Um, and yeah, Tyler Wells has a really, really great one. It's it's just so pretty. I think there was a few that I wanted to post in the Nasty Pitches channel on the PL Discord during that start, and I didn't want to spam like crazy, so I just posted one, <laughs> what I thought was the best one. But uh, yeah, no, I love Tyler Wells, and I think that like Schwabzi said, like in particular instances, like a lot of times when he's going to be pitching at home, I think he's well worth the stream. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, I it's funny. I I picked him up at the start of the year in a, in a couple of deeper leagues, and then mm-hmm. dropped him after the Tampa start, and then like immediate regret after that. Yeah, because because yeah. after the Tampa start, it was a couple of abbreviated starts. It wasn't until like his fourth and fifth starts where he really got rolling. Yeah. I mean, like even the game, he, he pitched five innings against the Yankees on the 27th of April and only gave up three hits, two earned runs, no walks. He hasn't walked a batter since his second game of the year. He's had four straight games, with no walks. And like for, for those of you who are listening to this on Saturday, uh, yes. for, for just for context, we are, we are recording this on Thursday night. But uh, if you're, I, I meant to say that at the top of the episode, I forgot about it because <laughs> yeah. we were too busy trying to figure out the bit that we were going to do at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> we we care more about bits than content. It is what it is. Um, so this will get posted on Saturday at our normal time, and uh, when you listen to this, on uh, uh, in theory on Saturday, go out and pick up Tyler Wells for a Sunday stream because he gets Detroit at home. And that is an, a struggling offense in, like I mentioned, a very friendly pitcher environment. So uh, that 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 is the official in the deep endorsed streamer of of a Sunday, which is a thing we don't do. Streaming, ah, streaming on Sunday morning. Anyways, uh, I had to get that out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Great, we have a new, we have a new, uh, we have a new bit for that. That'll that'll be weekly, and I'm gonna need you to sing that every week. Absolutely not. We're just gonna cut that out of this episode, and we're gonna replay it. I'm never doing that again. 
I already feel the impaired. I'm not listening back to this episode. I'm just going to edit and just not listen to this part. So I don't you, you mean you mean sing. like you mean like I refuse to listen to last week's episode because I don't want to hear myself talk to myself for for thirty minutes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. It's so cringe for people that don't do podcasts, and for me, I edit the podcast every week. It is so cringe listening to your own voice sometimes. Most of the time, I can get past it, but like I'm gonna absolutely skip over that part where I just sang. It's like the it's like the complete opposite of when Ellen Adair came onto the pod and sang. Oh yeah, because Ellen can actually sing. As much as they won't admit it, Ellen is a very very good singer. Um, but yes. Uh, gosh, where were we? Wait, was that it? Did you have anything else on Tyler Wells? <laughs> uh, I forgot no. what we were talking about because I got too busy in the bit and then, eh, whatever. No, you you have a you have a hitter you want to talk about. I do. And I was actually genuinely surprised that you didn't claim this person when we started doing our notes like yesterday, today. Um, it's, it's tough with minor leaguers. We don't, we don't have the data. It is really hard. But you also talked about the Diamondbacks last week, so I figured True. that you would be like kind of in on this a little bit. Um, and this is a very, very early adopt, adoption thing. I, I'm going to talk about Alec Thomas. Um, so again, we are not the most knowledgeable people about prospects if you want that listen to on the farm with lamar gibson fantastic super smart be sure to check that podcast out but there was a couple things that intrigued me about thomas so i was a little bit surprised that he hasn't been picked up more aggressively as he's a really really well-regarded prospect he's only 15 percent rostered between espn and yahoo leagues right now but I think that maybe the Diamondbacks' reputation as a less-than-stellar offense has an adverse effect on any prospects that get called up for that team. Um, so that's kind of where I would assume that came from. Um, and his sample size in the majors so far is incredibly small. He's had 13 plate appearances, so we don't have a lot to draw from. Uh, and he's also been batting near the bottom of the order, so there's kind of some downsides here in that regard. But he already has one home run in his first four games and has already established himself as the main option in center field right now, or at least until Corbin Carroll gets called up too. Um, and that includes, includes three starts against right-handed pitchers and one against a left-handed pitcher. So splits don't seem to matter as much here from what I can gather. Um, and of course, because it's only 13 player appearances so far in the majors, this is a huge sample size warning, but Thomas has a 70% hard hit rate so far. So hitting seven out of his 10 balls hard is pretty good. I know that it's maybe it's, it's very likely not going to last, but that is a really, really encouraging development from him. Uh, especially someone who hasn't had any real major league action before. Um, his max EV so far is 107.8. And I think that is obviously very good, but I don't think his success is going to be from him hitting the ball super hard. It's going to be from him hitting the ball decently hard, really, really often. Right. That's going to be the thing where he gets his success. Um, while he does have yet to draw a walk in a major league at bat, the play discipline should never be of any concern because he started the year in AAA this year with an 11.2% walk rate while only striking out 13.8% of the time. Like the hit tool is there. The play discipline is there. It's all really, really good. It's much better than his age suggests. And I think that obviously with a really consistent record of having high walk rates in the minors, the walks are going to come. So. I think he's going to be especially valuable for folks who are in redraft leagues that value on-base percentage. 
So those folks specifically, this is more so for you. Um, I think that the on-base skills will also allow him to use his speed, which he's a 60-grade uh, speed threat, according to most outlets. That will help him nab a few stolen bases. He's not going to get a ton. He's never been like a huge stolen base guy in the made, in the minors, but he's fast enough to get the ones that he needs to get. Um, as far as the other counting stats go, he has managed to rack up four runs and three RBIs in just four games so far, which is very excellent considering you're hitting eight or nine in a subpar order in your first few glimpses of MLB action, although the Diamondbacks have been better as of late. Um, I, I also, I, would, I don't think he stays in that lineup spot for long, honestly. You don't think so? I, I think, like, if he keeps doing what he's doing, I think he gets bumped up pretty quickly. There's not, there There are so few, like, proven veterans in that lineup. You know, it's not it's not like Houston and Kyle Tucker where there's, like, you know, five or six established veterans in front of him ahead of him in the order. You know, it's yeah, Christian like Walker and, right and David Smith. But yeah, like one and two right now, it's like leading off is either Dalton Varsho or Cooper Hummel a lot of times based on left or right-handed split, if I'm looking at it right. And then you have Pavin Smith at two a lot of the time. You have obviously, um, oh gosh, uh, like Josh Rojas. Peralta. At three. Peralta is up there. You yeah. Christian Walker. And then you have obviously like Cattell Marte is going to be up there as well occasionally like if if he hits i can see him hitting like second or sixth yeah i mean he's gonna he's gonna climb the order eventually i think i think he is very much i i less so see him hitting sixth i will say that i think that if he's going to be hitting he's gonna be hitting like one or two or he's gonna be hitting like near the very bottom of the order because he's like very prototypical table setter type yeah player where like he's not, I mean, he's not like completely slapdick. Where he's just going to be getting some like lazy singles here and there. Like he can still hit the ball hard. It's just that he's not like a big, big power bat. He's going to be like a fifteen home run guy tops. I would think fifteen twenty maybe if he unlocks more power. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is a chance if someone else gets caught in a slump that he could climb that order as well. Like he could hit one or two in that order if he performs well enough. So. Or if the team-wide season-long slump continues, yeah, true. Yeah, they, you're, they they have broken out of it a little bit. You're you're right about that. So for for you prospect prospect hounds out there, um, my two personal favorite sources for prospect lists are Fangraphs and Prospects Live. And Fangraphs had Alec Thomas as the number twenty-four prospect, while Prospects Live had him at I think it was thirty-six, thirty-four. Uh, funny thing, uh, in their, uh, in their blurb about him, Fangraphs called him Lilliputian, which means small, slight. The man is 5'11". That isn't exactly a short king. That That's is... taller than me, to be fair. I, I don't know. Who are these giants that are, uh, you know, scouting prospects for Fangraphs? Just a bunch the, of guys who lie about their height on their dating profiles. That's who. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Fan graphs. <laughs> Just a bunch of short kings are going to start writing angry letters to uh to. Oh god, it's, it's not Kylie anymore. Kylie's over at uh, ESPN now. 
oh, I'm blanking on who their the the, the uh, prospect person is at uh, at Fangraphs. Oh, I, I have compl- I have completely forgotten as well. But um, yes. So, <laughs> um, Alec Thomas, someone that I am looking to nab in a few leagues. Uh, pretty much has the center field spot locked down. Uh, and like I said, eventually, if when uh Corbin Carroll gets called up. He will likely shift over to left field because he doesn't have a really good arm. Uh, but I think he's still going to be able to stick in a decent lineup spot as long as he can continue producing. And I think there does need to be a little bit of like lagging behind or failure on behalf of the people who are currently at the top of that lineup for him to get his chance. But I mean, why not give the young kids some chances? I mean, you look at Julio. This is a very, this is not a, uh, an apples to apples comparison, but obviously Julio Rodriguez now hitting third fairly often the Seattle lineup like put those put these guys in like really key spots why not I like it I I mean I I've I'm on the record here as saying that I think that lineup is going to perform much better than it has and you know Mm -hmm. it it has recently and I I think that could wind up being a really good productive spot for uh for Thomas he could score a lot of runs he's not gonna be a big RBI guy probably ever I would say but the runs are always gonna be there so I don't right. know. You, uh, you, I, I feel like, like, like later in the order, he could be like a Jeff McNeil esque uh, esque hitter. You know, stop. Nope. <laughs> don't like it. And on that note, let's go to our quick ad break here. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, we're back. <laughs> oh, God. All right, uh, Shubzy, you were heavy on the pitchers this week. I took a couple of hitters, so let's lead you off here with another pitcher. Let's talk about Dane Dunning real quick. Yeah, you know, I, I was looking through, like, the sub-20% hitters. I was I was underwhelmed this week. I was whelmed. I, I don't know. Uh, there were a lot, a lot of pitches I found intriguing, though, you know, like Wells and, yeah, like you said, Dane Dunning. You might remember Dane Dunning from last week when I said I was interested in him but only if the schedule lined up in such a way that he got to avoid the Yankees. Well, he didn't avoid the Yankees. He pitched against the Yankees, and he dominated the Yankees. He went and threw six innings of one-run ball against them with five strikeouts and five base runners allowed, which is, you know, pr- pretty good, especially considering they they are in the midst of an absolutely stellar run as a team and as an offense. And uh, that start against the Yankees was after dunning shoved against atlanta and that atlanta start was after dane dunning shoved against houston who just finished absolutely dismantling uh, minnesota that's a brutal stretch of opposition and dane dunning just carved right through these tough tough lineups uh in those three starts he went 19.1 innings and 
had a 1.86 ERA in those starts. And uh, in those 19 innings, he got 17 strikeouts, only allowed 15 base runners. It's been a legitimately impressive stretch of performances. And the question for us is now, how legitimate is it? And how should we proceed? Coming into this season, uh, I think Dunning's defining trait, you know, other, other than being the, uh, the prize of the Lance Lynn deal, is probably his sinker. Uh, it, it, it was a pitch that he threw 52% of the time last year, and it helped him to a 54% ground ball rate, which, had he qualified for the ERA title, would have put him just ahead of Sandy Alcantara for fourth among starters. And that's cool for getting outs, but not so good for the strikeouts that we love so much in fantasy. So how is he getting strikeouts? By getting a 30-plus percent whiff percentage on both his slider and his changeup. And that, that'll play, generally. But also, he never, ever threw those pitches in the strike zone. His slider he only threw in the zone 28.5% of the time, which is really, really low. And that led to what was an effective but inefficient <laughs> pitch. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to stop the podcast because Shrubsy was doing the most New Jersey thing imaginable, which is like the, uh, how I'm do doing, I describe this? I'm doing the Rizzo Gallo Italian hands thing right now. I, I, like completely subconsciously. Talking, just, oh, that was beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> Continue. Uh, but yeah, so he he barely threw his breakers in the zone. It's like his uh, his sinker was his called strike pitch, and then the other pitches were his whiff pitches. And you know he get, he ha, he got a shade under a strikeout per inning, which is you know fine. But uh, it's just I I don't think that would wind up being a sustainable approach. Uh, like the changeup was promising. It was it was a very clear third option. He only used it like 13% of the time, so he was basically just sinker slider. And like I said, he never threw the slider in the zone. That feels like something that teams would have caught on to quickly and, you know, been a bit like good teams would have pounced on that or, or you know, the opposite, never pounced on the slider. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he put up a pretty, like he had good starts last year, but overall it was a... Uh, Overall, it was a 4.51 ERA last year, which is, you know, not great. This year, however, we're seeing some really interesting things because on the surface, he's got nearly identical strikeout numbers, walk numbers, home run numbers, ground ball numbers. So, like, the surface stats look basically unchanged, and yet we've got a run and a half drop in ERA. And all of his ERA predictors, like XERA, FIP, XFIP, Sierra, everything, it's down at least half a run from last year. And we know ground ballers can be finicky, like when it comes mm-hmm. to ERA predictors. Uh, like good, good ground ballers can regularly outperform their ERA estimators. You know, uh, thinking of like Marcus Stroman off the top of my head. So, what's going on with him? There have been some pretty major changes to his pitch mix. And 
it's led to some mixed results. He's cut his sinker usage by nearly 15%, and this was a pitch that he threw 52% of the time last year. He's nixed his curveball entirely, a pitch I didn't mention his curveball earlier because he only threw it 5% of the time, and it was kind of, it was just a show-me pitch. So that leaves you know 20% of a repertoire missing, and he's made up for that by throwing his slider and changeup about 10% more each. And I wish this was one of those situations where a player made a pitch mix change and it paid immediate dividends, but unfortunately it hasn't really worked out that way. Uh, his slider has gotten more effective the less he's used it, and his breakers have both been slightly less effective, and the trade-off has just left his peripherals in like almost the exact same place, which is weird. <laughs> you, you don't often see like all of the levers change and then the results be the same. It's weird. Yeah. It's really it's really easy to look at those unchanged uh surface numbers and then look at his BABIP, which is kinda low at the moment, and then go, Oh yeah, his ERA is just a result of a lower BABIP. That's all. I don't think it's that simple. There's there are some encouraging changes from last year to this year. He's throwing his slider in the zone more often, which is good because he never threw it in the zone last year. He uh, and he's throwing his sinker in the zone. That this is wild. Uh, Jordan was really surprised when I told him this earlier. He's throwing his sinker in the zone eight percent less often this year, from about fifty-eight percent to about fifty percent. But his called strike rate is four percent higher. And this this will require yeah it is weird it's it, but it's a good weird. Like it'll require a little bit more digging. Uh, a little bit more research, but seeing this makes me think that he's just locating it better. And I think heat maps, like on the surface, would uh, support that because last year he basically threw a sinker to one spot. He he just he's a uh, he's a righty and he just threw it to like the outside edge. Now he's spotting it inside outside both corners uh low and i i have to believe that that is what is leading to these uh, additional called strikes his he's game planning different and he's executing that game plan so overall you know i i asked the question before what do we do with this information personally i'm a dingus and i just cut him in my al only league and uh i have immediate regret because I, I wish I still had him on my team in my AL only league after doing this research. I, when you have a, like, he's still getting the, the same like 52, 53% ground ball rate while striking out a guy per inning, locating his sinker well and getting, you know, he's, he's still throwing all three of his main pitches to good locations. I'm, I'm in on this as long. Like, so I think Nick classified this as a Vargas rule. Which in mm -hmm. uh, in pitcher list parlance means it's probably not going to last, but we're going to ride it until the wheels fall off. Yep, hundred percent. But Nick says these things in the context of standard leagues, which is not what we're talking about. I think Dane Dunning is like a season long hold for uh, deeper leagues, 
but he's probably the kind of guy that you start or don't start depending on matchups. But you know, if if you were to if you were to listen to me, then you probably wouldn't have started him against the Yankees and Houston and you would have missed those good starts. So l- looking at his profile, I don't see that kind of ceiling where like he'll consistently beat good offenses like he has been doing. I'd say like that hints at a Vargas rule. I don't know. It's like a good team Vargas rule, but I would absolutely mm-hmm. keep running him out there once the schedule gets better. You know, that am I making sense? I don't know. You are. And I think we talked about this too, is like we, you want to talk about Dane Dunning and you weren't sure if you had like a really like neat way to wrap him up and like give like super, like a clear message of like what he is. And I think that's okay. Right. It's like we, we found a lot of interesting stuff when we're not sure what to make of it. So at least we can throw that out there so other folks can make their own decisions on it too. Cause we're not going to like spoon feed you every single thing every single week and like tell you exactly who to and who not to pick up just to make your own decisions on this. But I think Schwebzy pointed out a ton of really interesting stuff that Dane Dunning has been doing this year, different. And it seems to be working in its own way. Um, yeah. Like I, I, hate to not give actionable information Mm -hmm. uh so his upcoming schedule shows that he's going to be well actually uh that's for friday so that's tomorrow uh and that's not going to be useful so he's starting the day after we record this and the day before you're listening to this so that's weird but uh hopefully when you listen (laughs) to this he will be coming off of a strong start against boston and their struggling offense but Whatever he does in that Boston start, I would be recommending to add Dunning, but then keep him on your bench for the uh, upcoming Wednesday matchup against the Angels, who continue to be like just a stellar offense. Uh, I I am confident in Dunning. I'm not top three offense streamer confident in Dunning. I I think that's a fair assessment. That's probably where I'm at with him, too. Um, I gotta see if he's available in any of my auto new leagues. Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, because he seems like he could be an interesting ad there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I've just well, been, no, I, I'm just mad that like this whole episode, I've been trying to figure out like when I was talking about Tyler Wells, I was trying to figure out how to somehow say like well, well, wells. And like the whole time we were talking about Dane Dunning, I was trying to find it like a dun dun dun, and I could I got nothing. I got I couldn't find anything. Personally, I'm pleased that you couldn't find me. I know. And that just makes me feel worse. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you'll get one out eventually. Um, I mean, we have another very punny last name coming up with the person that I'm going to talk about. So you can probably come up with something decent for this one. I'm going to talk about someone that we've talked about multiple times on this podcast before. Uh, and that's Darren Ruff. Currently 6% roster between ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Um... I don't think we ever actually covered him at length this year. Maybe in the preseason we did at one point. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about him on our. Uh, we might. Talk, I think we talked about him during our uh, corner infield preview. We might not have highlighted him heavily, but we probably covered him during our corner infield preview. Um, yeah, yeah, he was he was one of my uh, my corner infield preseason guys. Yeah, and so he struggled to start the year. That was no mystery to anyone. 
even through all of that, I remember Shobzi and I had brought him up a couple times and we had not lost confidence in him as someone to target if you need a corner infielder in a deeper league. And if you have the same disposition towards Darren Ruff as we do, you would have been rewarded by picking him up because now he's in the midst of a seven-game hitting streak. He's hit safely in 10 of his last 11. And during this time, he's raised his average from 145 all the way to 222. That's a 77-point jump. Uh, He looks great over the past few weeks. Um, The power he displayed last year has been largely absent, which is unfortunate, aside from like a solo homer. It was his first home run of the year this past Saturday. Um, And the counting stats do leave a little bit to be desired overall, but he's still absolutely worth a look. Um, He also, okay, Schwebzy, quick little trivia question. He did something during his little uh, 10 out of 11 game hitting streak ish streak seven game streak um that i thought was hilarious and surprising because it's darren ruff what, stole two bases you th- hey you didn't even let me finish i have darren rude. ruff <laughs> is that the right answer yeah it is i have darren ruff on several teams i know <laughs> oh, okay good well i mean that 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 made me feel that i thought that was going to be way cooler but i guess shrubs just had to look even cooler by having darren ruff on all of his teams um uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, Darren Ruff stole bases, not not just stole two bases, he stole a base in back-to-back games. <laughs> Both against the Washington Nationals, which is hilarious. This is not a guy who steals bases, but if you were sharp enough, like Shrubsy, uh, to grab him and have him in your lineup, you were the recipient of a pleasant little surprise, which is really, really nice. Um, well, we, we've established Ruff's, that I'm a stolen base savant, apparently. That is true. This is, this is I don't know if you all know this, this is Christopher Shrubsy Weber, a.k.a. Stolen base leader in TGFBI by like five. Still- like the next closest person is like five behind you. Somehow I drafted all the stolen bases. It and is that nuts. Wild Tatis is on my IL. I don't know how that happened. It's you're just gonna bury everyone by the time he comes back. It's gonna be stupid. Um, I'm gonna get yeah, I'm gonna get a trophy made up for stolen base champion of TGFBI. Gotta win something. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know both of us aren't winning anything else. Bring some tro- bring some hardware home for it, Shubzy. Please, <laughs> just do that. Literally, bring it, buy it, bring it home. Uh, Ruff's newfound burner speed aside, uh, the on-base skills have been there since he returned from the KBO in 2020, um, and they're unquestionably. He's got a 13.9% walk rate and a 370 OBP since he came back from Korea. He's been fantastic at getting on base, and when he plays consistently, he finds himself in the heart of the lineup. He's hitting like third, fourth, fifth, right around that area. Um, so there is some bad news, unfortunately. His playing time is bound to take a sizable hit now that Evan Longoria, Brandon Belt, and in the deep favorite Lamont Wade Jr. all just came back off the IL or from like short injury stints. So that's really unfortunate. Um, and he's probably just going to be used as a regular pinch hitter on most days. That said, it's worth monitoring the situation to see if anyone gets hurt because it will lead to Darren Ruff getting consistent at bats and he's going to hit against lefties and righties. Um, the nice thing, especially in your on-base percentage leagues is that Ruff, even though he is not the best hitter righty on righty, he does walk a whole bunch against right-handed pitching. Uh, so you're still going to be fine there in your on-base percentage leagues. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on him in your daily leagues that have, uh, or sorry, in your, yeah, in your deep leagues that have daily moves. Um, and he's particularly juicy against left-handed pitching if you do need batting average. Yeah, he's sat the last two games, which I'm yep. m- my, I, I'm mildly concerned about. 
Because mm-hmm. he's not a bad he's been hitting against con- righties. Yeah, but he's also been so good over the past week and a half or so that I don't know why they wouldn't want to get him in there and get him at bats, even if it's going to be at an occasional DH spot, right? Because I think Longoria is still going to be playing third, right? Yeah. Now that he's back and healthy, so he should be on the field not taking up that DH spot. I don't know who's been in the DH spot the past couple days, um, but I'm definitely interested in having, Lam- or, <laughs> having Lamont Wade Jr. I have Lamont Wade on the brain. It's been uh, Jock Peterson against righties, which makes sense. Oh, yeah. Okay, that does make sense. God, they just have so many good platoon bats yeah. on the team. But right, because like, uh, along with the players you mentioned, uh, Lamont Wade, Longoria, and Brandon Belt, Mike Estremski came off the IL about a week ago. True. So really just a, a flood of potential uh, competition. Well, not not but like actual competition for uh, for mm-hmm. playing time, all all at the same time, yeah. which is a bummer. Really, I just like, think that the bat is way too good to just leave him out of the lineup, though, right? Like it's got it. Like, oh, he <sighs> got. I mean, he got played appearances last year. I think he will yeah. again this year. I think I like, and I I I believe my my hope slash prediction when I talked about him in the off season was that he would get four fifty because of the DH. Um. And all of those injuries, I think, probably made that a lock. Yeah, I think that also, plus the fact that, did we talk about, I think we talked about Darren Ruff before Jock Peterson signed with the Giants. You're probably right. That sounds right, at least. I mean, I yeah, it was it was very close, I think, but I think we talked about Darren Ruff before Jock Peterson signed with the Giants, and I think that obviously shifted the landscape a little bit. Yeah, although but Darren all those... Ruff was like pinch hitter extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. That's kind of those... what he did. There were so many like late season role player signings that like <laughs> messed mm-hmm. up our off season episodes so much. Of course they did. It's an ever changing landscape. It's just going to be. I mean, we're going to be wrong just because of stuff like that that we can't control so much, and it's really hard. But I mean, regardless, Darren Ruff's still really, really great. And I hope that he gets enough opportunity to be super valuable for folks, including Schwebzy. Hopefully he can get you a couple more stolen bases, maybe. That's why I got him. But yeah. All right. Uh, that's it for our deep dives this week. Let's move on to, we're going to do a little, uh, a little section we're going to call graduation ceremony, which is players that we've talked about in previous weeks who are now outside of the 20% or less threshold that we usually talk about players and Schwebzy. Let's start with Josh Naylor. Take it away. Josh Naylor. He's doing the thing. He's doing the dang thing. He, he's doing the thing where, you know, we, we talked at, at length about how if we were Josh Naylor, we would simply hit the ball in the air. And he's he is simply hitting the ball in the air to to great effect. And I the, the, the purpose of this section is it, it 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 feels a little like back pat E, but the point of this is to point like this they're both more shallow league relevant yes and also if you are in a deep league and they're still out there you know we've talked about them before and we don't want you to forget about them if they do happen to still be out there but uh you know josh naylor and fellow cleveland guardian andres jimenez jimenez is going to fall apart at some point he's got like a crazy high uh inflated babbit right now but mm-hmm. he's flashed a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Historically, uh, 
he has ran like crazy whenever he had an opportunity. That hasn't shown up so much this year. He's only got a couple of stolen bags, and he hasn't shown uh, the same willingness as before. But I, I have to assume that that's coaching. Um, I, I have the feeling that if the opportunity presents itself, uh, he will go back to his old ways. I, I, I just can't imagine that that stolen base willingness has just disappeared on its own. Is Miles Straw still stealing bases? Not like he was in the first two weeks now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know to deal with that is because i figured that i mean cleveland probably is i i was i would i was going i was assuming at the beginning of the year that they would be leading the league in stolen bases yeah i would i would have bought that in a second if i knew jimenez was going to get playing time yeah yeah but but uh anyways so this other one we bring up for one reason and one reason only rowdy Tellez is now rostered in 69 percent of yahoo and espn leagues nice nice Nice. We love Rowdy. We love we love our big beefy boys uh hitting ball far, make or hit hit ball hard, make ball go far. Yes. And uh in a um, in a similar similar vein, uh Jorge Mateo hit his second home run of the year today, which puts him at two home runs and nine stolen bases for the year, while also putting up an above league average batting average. Uh, I had absolutely I, serviceable. He is. He's basically what you were hoping you would get out of Alberto Mondesi. Yeah, genuinely. Um, yeah, he's at 20% now. I still firmly believe he should be rostered in every single Roto league. Maybe not so much head to head leagues, but anything. Yeah. Any, anything Roto, he should be rostered in to the stolen bases are too valuable and he's not a complete zero, uh, you know, across the board to, to, you know, make him not rostered. Uh, and he's at 20% right now, so uh, I, I expect him to join those uh, graduates in not too long. Uh, we're going to do our usual thing where we talk about some honorable mentions real quick. But there's one that we really particularly want to draw your attention to. Like, this is like number one with a bullet. Yes. Uh, and, and that is Edwin Rios of the Dodgers. And the reason we want to bring him to your attention is because... He has played for three straight games. He has DH'd for three straight games. And Edwin Rios is that kind of player where it's like the second he gets everyday playing time, he is an immediate must-add for, you know, anything deeper than a standard league. Maybe even in a standard league. Because this is a guy with just prodigious power. This is this is like a, a Eugenio Suarez-type bat. You know, maybe not quite that many dingers, but yeah, it's it's that that similar type of production. So uh, yeah, as as if the Dodgers are going to keep playing him every day, and he's like I said, he's got three starts in a row. Uh, Rios demands uh, being added. Uh, I'm like literally the first thing I'm going because I I noticed that he started three games in a row as we were prepping for this podcast. The first thing I'm going to do once we're done recording is go check what leagues he's available in for me. Absolutely. So he's he's over three with two strikeouts so far today. Uh, that said, I mean, he had what two home runs, three runs, seven RBIs in the pre like the four past four games combined, including his over three day today. That's a uh, that's pretty good. I mean, the Dodgers offense is going to be fantastic most days, regardless, just because it's absolutely stacked. If he finds himself anywhere in the heart of that lineup, he's going to be absolutely killer. Oh. You know, completely unrelated, 
Oh boy. There there was a there was a really quick bit that I wanted to do while I was talking about Tyler Wells that I forgot to do. Like you know how yeah, we can like, circle back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, oh, I'm doing it. I'm not. I'm not letting this go. <laughs> I don't need your permission. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's very common knowledge for our listeners now that one of our favorite archetypes of players is the, the big boy that hits the ball far. Yes, correct. That's that's why we like O'Neill Cruz. That's why we like, you know, uh, our, our Rowdy, Rowdy, our our Vogelbach. Yeah, yeah. Our, our barrel guys. Uh, Tyler Wells is a large boy that throws ball hard. Did you, oh, do, you, do you know how tall Tyler Wells is? 6'5". He's like 6'8". Is he really? Dang. He's a, he's a big boy. So, I, yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, we, we're going to need to add that to the In the Deep lexicon, uh, as, you know, as, as a close uh, cousin to the big boy hit ball far. It's the uh, the big the big boy pitch ball hard. We can do that. That's acceptable. That's not even a bit. That, that that's just. I mean, that's just on brand for us. I, I think. accept your terms. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we talked about Edwin Rios. I want to bring up Mike Mustakas really quick. I mentioned him briefly in the preseason corner infield preview as someone to target if he managed to stay healthy, and so far he's been mostly healthy. Um, and the Reds' offense has been not a steaming pile over the past few weeks, including like a huge series against the Brewers, which was really unfortunate for me as a Brewers fan. Um, but Moose is hitting like 350 over the past two weeks and has eight runs and six RBIs. I don't think that he's necessarily like a must add, but he's definitely a fine stopgap filler. If you have an injury and you need to stream someone, especially against right-handed pitching. I dig it. Uh, I actually have a, a very similar player. Mm, go do tell uh with uh, a, a little more versatility involved so uh actually a, a contributor to my my being a stolen base savant in tgfbi apparently this Brad, is dumb this was an accident this is so dumb uh i i fully intended to cut brad miller from my tgfbi squad like two weeks ago but then i forgot to do fab so brad miller uh i i you know what a, a lot of it's just how baseball goes players ebb and flow they have their highs and lows yeah, of course. brad miller started the season on a low but he's such a, a fringe player a lot of the guys we talk about are that when he has a low you kind of want to cut bait and then it's very easy to miss the highs kind of like i talked about with tyler wells earlier where you know i cut him after one bad start and missed the highs brad miller's on a high guys He's hit three home runs in the last week or so, maybe 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 ten days. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, he's also stolen a couple bags this year. I don't. I think that might be more of a uh, Darren Ruff thing, where it's just a uh, you know, a be th- be thankful if you were a recipient of those stolen bases, but don't target it. But uh, I I feel I I know I've talked about Brad Miller on this podcast before. He's similar to Mike Mustakis in that he is a fantastic hitter against righties. Just got off to a rough start. Uh, I actually need to check the lineup tracker real quick because at the start of the season, Miller was hitting leadoff against righties, yep. which he is was. a really, really enviable lineup spot. And he's actually, he's he's still doing that. He's He appears to be in a straight platoon now. Uh, because he has sat five straight games versus lefties, and the Rangers have faced a lot of lefties lately. Uh, but for those in daily leagues, 
uh, Brad Miller could be, uh, or, or you DFS players out there, Brad Miller is a name to keep an eye on for uh, for when you when they're facing righties. Love that one. Yeah, I mean, kind of when it, with the stolen base stuff, it's just kind of a uh, what's the best way to say this? A, a meme. Uh, don't cry. Be- don't 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 cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. <laughs> sort of thing just just be thankful that you had it uh when it happened hey, brad miller um, has a career high of 13 stolen bases it was 2015 but don't tell me you can't do it he can't do it he can't do it he can't he, do it he, he um, has already matched his last season's total yeah um so a lot of mine that i put down here for honorable mentions were actually more of like well, at least a couple of them are more cautionary tales, like please steer clear of these people and don't fall for the trap more so than it is. I want to highlight this person because I think you should pick them up. Uh, one of them is Vince Velasquez. I think he's had some really good innings lately for the South side of Chicago. Uh, but this feels like a trap. We all know that we, we all know who Vince Velasquez is at this point. I don't think there's really much that has changed with Vince. Um, at least nothing that I could glean. So. I'm probably going to steer clear of him, even though he's had a couple good starts over the past few weeks. And also Johnny Cueto is going to be back soon. Vince is probably going to be the odd man out. So I'm with you there. There is not a thing you could do to make me roster Vince Velasquez in a league of any depth. If he was a left fielder all the time, then I would do that. Maybe if he was a left fielder and like assists were a category. There you go. Bingo. Exactly. Um, The other one that I was going to do is Jose Quintana. I will. What is happening? <laughs> Why? What's so going on? You're 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 completely out on this, huh? You you don't you don't buy the the Quintana Quintana sods? So he's following like the Blake Snell blueprint, which is really encouraging. He's elevating his fastballs, his curveball and his changeup have both been like okay. The curveball is the thing that I think that really hinges on, honestly. His curveball was his best pitch this year uh, so far. If that's not working, I don't know if I necessarily really want him in any of my lineups. It scares me otherwise. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it's there for me. It fe- like it feels like Pittsburgh is starting say it. starting to do good things with their pitchers. Like I, I. We, we've we heard that they have overhauled their player development so similar to like the Orioles we talked about before although I think the mm-hmm. Pirates are, are, are behind where the Orioles are we're, see, we're seeing some good stuff out of Brubaker we've seen good stuff out of Keller seeing good things out of Quintana May, I mean this might be I'm not going to act on it but I'm keeping my eye on this Yeah, like I, Pittsburgh might be you know, starting to do some good things with their pitcher development. Yeah. Um, Although they couldn't do anything with Chad Cool and the Rockies could, so I feel like that's a damning indictment. That is fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's some other people that I've listed here that I think that are kind of in the similar vein that includes, like, Martin Perez, uh, Nick Pavetta. I think that there's definitely some good sides to Nick Pavetta. His last start wasn't too bad, but I just... It's just it still feels so uncertain to me, and I don't I don't know if I want to take the chance unless it's an incredibly favorable matchup. Um, on the other oh. hand, I also have Reed Detmers here. 
And as it turns out, I don't know if you know the Shrubsy, but no hitters are they those are good. Who 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 has who has two thumbs had Reed Detmers on his TGFBI bench for his no hitter and is doing a visual gag on an audio medium. Shrubsy is. Yeah. Shrubsy did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I mean trying to think if i had anyone on my bench for like a really excellent pitching performance this year so far and i don't think so i've i mean i've i've been on nestor cortez the entire year so i was able to nab both of his 11 strikeout performances you know he had 12 in that one didn't he i think it was was 11 i think it was 11 i I want you to know that i I was workshopping a mike francesa caller uh, about nestor cortez bit and I, i i scrapped it in my own head so you're welcome for that Thank you for self-censoring. I appreciate that. That way I don't have to edit it out of the podcast later. <laughs> uh, Lucky for you, Nestor Cortez is rostered in more than 20% of leagues. Fair enough. Now he is. But, um, Trubsy, any other bats you wanted to talk about? Colin um, Moran you have down here. Yeah, Colin Moran's doing that thing that he does once or twice per year where he just has a crazy hot week. Uh, yep, against the Brewers, no less. I Thanks, Colin Moran. <laughs> you jerk. I don't, I, I mean, if, if you're, uh, you know, an astute listener, then you remember a couple weeks back when I told you that Brandon Drury has like one or two good games a year and you already missed it after he hit his first home run of the year. And then Drury went and hit a bunch more home runs over the next few weeks. Uh, and I kind of have an uh, egg on my face from that. Um, so I don't want to say too many mean things about Colin Moran because he's in a good ballpark. And he's got all the opportunity in the world. And he's crazy hot right now. Uh, so if you're desperate for a corner infielder, Colin Moran might be your guy. Uh, and in a uh, similar vein with... Uh, opportunity with a uh, you know pl- plenty of playing time ahead of him travis demerit who i also talked poor uh said said mean things about continues to uh do pretty well hit an absolute missile yesterday for a dinger and he uh the strikeouts are the issue with him but as long as he's hitting a home run every now and then in between all the strikeouts like he's you know he's he's a worthwhile fantasy asset i can dig it um oh. awkward pauses <laughs> um <laughs> i opened my mouth like i was about to say something and then cut myself off and jordan was waiting for me to say the thing that i was gonna say i'm like bro go <laughs> do it i wanna i wanna, I wanna. we do we literally have the finish line in sight and both of us are just like literally i was crawling on our hands and knees I was going to say a dumb thing, but then I remembered I've already hit my quota for dumb things to say today. and I. It's not hard for us, especially when we hang up together. Again, one brain cell passed back and forth between us. But, uh, no, was there anyone else you wanted to cover? Or is that uh, it? Uh, Seth Brown hit a dinger today, and uh, he... He has prodigious power. He has the the power to get the ball over the fence, even with the uh, the beanbag baseball that we're dealing with right now. So uh, it, this could be the start of a run. I I think Brown is one of the uh, the athletics worth rostering. Loriano's return makes it a slightly stronger lineup. Although 
Loriano's return also makes playing time a little bit hard to come by. So we have to monitor if that is going who who that is going to hurt specifically. I know a Chad Pinder didn't play today, which wounds me personally. But uh yeah, I, I still like Seth Brown and he's still rostered nowhere. Uh he's had a rough start to his year, but similar to Brad Miller. I think there's going to be a week in the near future where Seth Brown hits three or four dingers and everyone wants to roster him immediately. But yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, I think that was it for me too. I don't think I have anyone else. Wait, did I talk about Austin Gomber yet? No, I didn't talk about Austin Gomber yet. I think that, uh, so Gomber's had two quality starts in, uh, in three, his last three games. God, I couldn't figure out how to say that. Uh, and he always seems to be like, kind of pesky. He has like decent CSW numbers, but doesn't strike a ton of people out and gets a lot of ground balls and weak contact. Um, just keep an eye out for favorable streams with him. I think that he's a really good streamer throughout the year. I feel like I always get him on my teams two to three times a year for different streams, and he usually does a pretty decent job for me. Um, and unlike last year, he's no longer like an enigma who was amazing in cores, but just awful outside of it. That is somewhat normalized this year. I was gonna, I was genuinely waiting for him to be like insanely good at cores again this year, and then for some reason, just inexplicably bad elsewhere. Normalize getting gombered. Yeah, normalize getting gombered. You know, I do have one more name I want to bring up. Do it. Go for it. This is for degenerates like myself. Ooh, I love degenerates. I'm in an AL only league with two catchers. I both of my starting catchers are hurt. So I'm on my third and fourth string AL only catchers, which as you can imagine is not an enviable position to be in. Christian Betancourt on the Athletics, the, their backup catcher has been low key tearing the cover off the ball. <laughs> it's true he has. Look, if you if you're in desperate need of a catcher play, I I like I practice what I preach. He is actually uh I, I picked him up two days ago to replace uh Mitch Garver and it has paid immediate dividends because he hit pretty well the last two games he played. He actually played first base yesterday uh and has played three of the last four games now. So it looks like Oakland might be recognizing that he is tearing the cover off the ball. But uh peep those mm-hmm. barrel rates. The man the man is like really hitting the heck out of the ball right now. Love it. All right. Uh, I think that's it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. As a reminder, uh, if you'd like to follow us on our social media profiles, we have Twitter accounts. You can follow us at our shared podcast account at In the Deep PL. You can follow myself, Jordan White, at Bunt Singles. And you can also follow Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I. And on that note, we'll talk to you again next week. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.